And as we get started, uh, let's go before the Lord one more time in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I, as I stand here this evening, Lord, Lord, I recognize because You've told us so that nothing happens without Your Spirit working, without Your Spirit moving. Lord, we are thankful for that because Your Spirit will do Your will perfectly each and every time. Lord, we thank You that You've designed this church. You designed the church of Your Son that it's, that it's the church of the redeemed. That it's the church of those who believed and repented of their sins, Lord. Placed their faith and their trust in you. Because you've given us the gift of faith. It is all to your glory. We do thank you for this time that we'll be here this evening, Lord. And I pray this in the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So several Sunday evenings ago, uh, Pastor Terry, after preaching a, a convicting and, and yet I encouraging message out of Galatians chapter 5, he ended his message with this question. Um, you might remember it. His question was this, do we know what matters most in life? And the answer was Christ and living by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ working through love is what matters most. And that was Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Faith in Jesus Christ working through love is what matters most. And this is where we are to be de devoting our energies to. That's what we devote our energies to, especially here in the church. And if Jesus Christ and walking by faith is the most important thing in this life, then we should all want to know Christ better. Right? I think that's one of the things that we see as a joy of Fellowship Bible Church is that it is our desire to grow. It's not a stagnation. It is our desire to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Um, we should all want to know who God the Father is better. Uh, and all of this will affect how we live our lives as Christians. Knowing God better helps us channel our energies to what matters most. Loving God with all our heart, Loving God with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. When we understand God the Father as we ought, and when we understand Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we ought, it will have an effect on our lives. We will, will live out faith in love as we ought to. We spent a few Sunday evenings going over um, first it was the attributes of God, then we looked at the names of God. And the whole purpose of that was just to get a better understanding to help us see how God expresses Himself, why He gave us those names, so that we could understand His character better. To better understand all that's wrapped up in the phrase, the name of God. And that same is true when we see the phrase, the name of Jesus Christ. All that's wrapped up in what that word name means. We simply want to take every opportunity that we have to gain a deeper understanding of who God the Father is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's every time we sing a hymn or we, or we pray or we read a verse or we get to hear the word preached. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, makes these statements, and I just thought I'd read a few of them to you this evening. Packer asked these questions concerning our purpose in life. He asked, what were we made for? And the answer, to know God. What aim should we set ourselves in this life? Same, to know God. 
he asks, what is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Right? We know it well. We've said it here. John 17, 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Packer asked, what is the best thing in life bringing more joy, more delight, and more contentment than anything else in life? And that is a knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, we know, we know it well, but I'll read it. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. So here's what's been pressing down on me for the past few weeks. There is the reality that in a fallen world, right, a person can know a lot about God and yet still not know God. Right? To not truly understand who God is. And that's why God says to Jeremiah, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So my question, the question that I've been asking myself is, how do we know? How do we know? How do we know? How can we recognize if we simply know a trivia about God or that we actually know God? And I believe that one way, we've talked about it tonight, one way is by watching those who are part of a local church family. We can observe how they are walking by faith because of the knowledge they have by grace of who God is. By God's grace, there's around us in our church family, many who truly know God and are continuing to grow in that knowledge. There are those who have an intimate, deep, and personal relationship with God the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this can be seen how they live out their faith. How they walk by faith in love. How well we truly and personally know God will be visible to those around us. And more importantly, we can learn from them. Right? That is the design for God's church. Paul says to the Thessalonians, encourage one another, build one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5. And David, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, helps us visually see the fruit of someone who is walking by faith in love. Because David intimately knows and he trusts the object of his faith, which is God the Father. So, with that, let's read Psalm 122. And then we'll, uh, we'll look at this a little bit closer. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, in ordinance for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I thought I'd should start by just a, a bit of a background 
Um, you'll notice that this is titled A Song of Ascents. In some of your versions, it may be a song of degrees, but it's a song of ascents. And in this case, it's a song of ascents of David. Most commentators agree that these are psalms that were sung by the Israelites as they were on a pilgrimage to the feast that they were required to go to. Um, they would have been singing and meditating on these as they traveled. And there are 15 of these psalms that are labeled song of ascents. Um, it's easy to remember where they are. They start in 120, so they start right after Psalm 119, right? We all pretty readily recognize Psalm 119, the longest psalm that's on the meditations on the law of God. So that's where they start. So from 120 to 134, those are the 15 songs, psalms of ascent. Four of these psalms are specifically attributed to David, and one of them is to Solomon, that's Psalm 125, uh, and the rest are anonymous. So that's a bit on, on these. Uh, when it comes to the feasts, I'll tell you, I had a fantastic time studying on the feasts of Israel. Um, there's so much, to, there's so much that, uh, that can be learned as, as I believe they point in many ways to, to Christ. Um, there's many places you can go to read about these feasts, um, but I'll just read a short section. section. It's uh, Deuteronomy 16, 16. Um, no need to go there. I'll just read it. Moses writes, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the feasts of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of bulls. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Right. So three times a year, at appointed times, all the tribes of Israel were commanded by God to travel to an appointed place for sacrifices and for feasting. And when we tend to think of the place of gathering as being Jerusalem, and it most often is in Scripture. Uh, that's, that's the case. We see the Jews, even in Jesus' day, traveling to the temple uh, in Jerusalem. It wasn't always that way. I, you know, I'm not going to go through too much, but they spent over 360 years at Shiloh, which is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. There's, there's a lot that goes on there, but it's, it's all uh, very exciting history. But at the time of David, which is when the psalm obviously was written, uh, the city, which we call Jerusalem, was actually called Jebus. It was, it was occupied by the Jebusites. Um, David conquered the city, and it was therefore often referred to as the city of David. Right? And it was then that David had the Ark of the Covenant brought up to Jerusalem, and the Israelite pilgrimages began to travel to Jerusalem. Right? Because that's where David had the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. So that's just a brief introduction to the feasts, right? That, and, and that's what, what's happening in these Psalms of Ascents, as they're traveling to these, to these feasts. So as we consider the idea of knowing David, David is certainly someone we can look at as having a deep and personal relationship with the Lord. David trusted God, and he, and he had absolute faith in God. And there are many places we could go to take a look at that. One of them, you know, we're all very familiar with. It's when David was young. It's in 1 Samuel 17 um, regarding uh, Goliath. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Right? This, this confidence, this trust in that statement, this trust in the God that he knew. Uh, and, and we see trust in other ways, right, with David. We, we think all the times that David could have, could have killed Saul and have him taken over as king, right? He never did that. 
right? He always trusted God to work things out in, the, in God's timing. Uh, David knew God. David loved God. Faith in the God of Israel was what was most important to David, and he lived out his faith. He lived out his faith in, in love for God and for God's people that he was king over. In fact, God considered David a man after his own heart. Right in Acts 13, when Paul was speaking to the people in Antioch in the synagogue, Paul was sharing the history of Israel and referencing back to, to 1 Samuel. Verse 22 of Acts 13, Paul says, After he, that's God, had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. That's, that's an impressive testimony. Right? Those are impressive statements that God made on behalf of David. So it's clear David knew God. He didn't just know about God. He knew God. So with that, his psalm here, let's, let's bring that to take a look at Psalm 122. There were certain visible characteristics in David's life that demonstrated that he knew God. We've talked about some of them. In Psalm 122, we're going to see four specific visible characteristics that are, are illustrative of someone who is truly walking by faith and trusting in who God is and living out their faith. The first characteristic is a heart of gladness. And I will say there's nothing, you know, high and lofty about these. These are pretty basic, but it's all really good to look at. The first characteristic is a heart of gladness. The second characteristic of somebody who knows God and is walking by faith, and that's what's important to them, is a heart of thankfulness. The third characteristic is a heart of peace or tranquility. The Legacy Standard Bible uses the word tranquility, and I love that word. We'll look at that tonight. But the third characteristic characteristic is a heart of peace or tranquility. And the fourth characteristic is a heartfelt concern for others. Does any, any of that sound familiar from us talking about the church and how it's worked out in our lives? Right. So verse 1, Psalm 122, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So we, here we have the first characteristic of those who truly know God, and it jumps right out at us. They are glad to be with the people of God. And this really is basic. It's basic, but it's so good and it's so true. David had an eagerness to be gathered together with his people. An opportunity to be gathered together with God's people produced in him a glad heart. The Israelites were commanded by God to make this journey or this pilgrimage, but it wasn't drudgery. It wasn't drudgery for David. He didn't have to force himself to go. Right? He was excited and he was glad when it was time. And I believe David was writing this psalm for all those who would need to travel from, from significant distances. Right? It was going to be hard for many to travel for multiple days to get to Jerusalem. He was glad when it was time to come and gather to God's people. So that would be the same for, right, for us, right? And it is. It's hard living as a believer in this fallen world. Right? It was hard for Israel too. It was hard for them. It was a hard world. Do me a favor, turn back to Psalm 120, maybe you're on the same page. Psalm 120. It's the first of the Song of Ascents. And in verse, verses 1 and 2, it says, In my trouble I cried out to the Lord, and He answered me, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips. Lying lips and a deceitful tongue. 
Right? We, we often feel that way when we're, when we're dealing with those that are in the world. Right? We are, we're in the world, but we're not sure who we can trust, if anybody. But you know what? I can trust you. Do you not sense that? I can trust you. That is so different. That is so different in the world because we can trust each other. If you say something to me or you promise me something, I can trust that you're going to do it. And I would say, brothers and sisters, it's hard to be out in the world, but it is pure gladness to be here. And that's what David is saying. Right? In that same Psalm 120, verse 7, Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The psalmist is, I mean, this is a song of ascent. The psalmist is saying, come on, let's go. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, right? I've had enough of this place. I need to go, which is the place that's going to be different than everything else. Everything else that's around me. David understood this. He was excited to travel. Um, And all of that should bring gladness to our hearts. And I think it does. Back in Psalm 122, verse 2, it says, Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. You can feel that, right? It's this excitement to finally be in the gates. He's in where the house of the Lord is. You know, that's an exciting time. David understood this. He wanted to express it. They were safely inside God's house. And what I'd like us to see here is the pronouns that are used. It says, let us go. Verse 2 says, our feet. Right? And it says, when they... I was glad when they said, these are all plural pronouns. David started out with the word I, but he was excited to be with the people. This was a corporate gathering. This is corporate worship. This isn't worship by an individual. Not that you can't do that, but there is something special and it is God's design for corporate worship. And I'm sure many of you can think of a time when maybe you had the opportunity for something like that, where you were waiting, there was a lot of anticipation, Right? I can tell you the first time that I went to Shepherd's Conference, there was something special about walking on the campus. Right? There's something special about being with that many people, that many believers. Some of you have been to P4G, some of you have been to G3, some have been to Israel. I've never been to Israel, but there's, there's things you have anticipation for when you finally get there, you recognize, you recognize what David is saying here. He's finally there, he's inside the walls, he's inside the gates, and it's, it's an amazing time. That's what he's trying to share. You know, as, as we share tonight, you know, there's gladness. It's Sunday evening on the Lord's Day. And, and I will tell you, and it's not flippant to say this, there's no place I'd rather be than here. And I'm not alone. I know many of you feel the same way. What is, what is the world doing on a Sunday night? So many things. And there's no place I'd rather be than right here with each of you. This time is sweet, but you can only understand that if you know who God is. If you don't know who God is, you have no sense of what that sweetness is that we are all able to share together. Verses 3 and 4 says, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, in ordinance for Israel. Right, I'll stop there. Um, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. These again, these are like-minded people traveling to corporate worship. 
their true and living God. It's an ordinance for Israel. This was not a suggestion. Right? This wasn't a, you know, for me, it was like, hey, you want to go to, you want to go to Shepherds? You want to do something? This is, it's not a suggestion, right? These are ordinances. This is something they had to do. We read that in Deuteronomy 16. It was a command. They must make this pilgrimage three times a year, right? So ultimately, what was the purpose, right? David give us, gives us that in the second half of verse four. The purpose? To give thanks to the name of the Lord, right? That was the purpose. This is our second characteristic of those who know God. They are a thankful people, giving thanks to the name of the Lord, giving thanks to all of who God is and all that he's done. I was thinking about Anthony's teaching this morning um, in Sunday school and thinking about Baal worship right, and how Baal was considered the deity, deity over the fertility of the land. The Israelites who were worshiping this false god were looking to gain something. Right? They were looking for fertility. They were, they were pleading for good soil and a good harvest. Yeah, the true and living God said, okay, you know, you think Baal's in control? Okay, drought. And that was it. There was drought for three and a half years. There was no rain and there was no dew. Right? God was in control. Right? And that's what he was going to teach. You know, we don't worship to get something. We don't come here to worship to get something. And I think that's obvious, but it's good to be reminded of it. We come here to give thanks. We come here to give thanks for all that we've done, all that we've received when we don't deserve it. Right? That's why we come. We come to give thanks. And it's not a light thing. You know, we come here because we're redeemed. You know, messages like this morning, messages we've had for a few weeks, I don't think we let it settle in often enough that we are redeemed. We've been brought back from the dead. And we didn't deserve it. We are a corporate gathering of the redeemed. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have it in my notes here, but I, I'll share with you. There's something that I have had the opportunity to see, the other deacons have as well, but it's something I noticed on corporate, on corporate communion Sundays. There is something that I find unique when it says, let's all partake of this together. And you look around this room and everybody at the same time raises that cup and takes that cup at the same time. We're going to do that together in heaven with our Lord. And it's going to be a raising of cups like we've never seen. Right? It is amazing what we have to look forward to. And it's nothing we deserve. It's nothing we deserve. We heard it again this morning. Christ is still here and he's still willing to forgive, but he only forgives those who are willing to recognize that they are blind and they are desperate and they are in need of forgiveness. We must be a people who have a heart of thankfulness for all that God, the Father, and God, our Lord Jesus Christ, have done for us. And the more we know God, the more intimate our personal relationship is with our Lord, the more thankful we will become. And it will be visibly evident. In the context here, David does give us a specific example of the thankfulness. Right, Verse 5. To give thanks for the name of the Lord. For, we could say, because their thrones were set for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. 
right? If you needed an argument settled or a dispute settled, you brought it to Jerusalem because you trusted the decision, right? This was at least David's expectation while he was king. Good was to be honored. Wrongs were to be punished. And this is also to be a picture of our local church, right? This is to be a picture of a local church that's striving after the will of God. Good is to be honored. And wrongs have to be dealt with. Right? That is a reality. That is honoring to God. That good is honored and that wrongs have to be dealt with. So for those who have a true and understanding knowledge of God, there's to be a heartfelt gladness when gathered with the people of God, a heartfelt thankfulness for all that God has done. And thirdly, there's a knowledge of God leads to a heartfelt peace. Looking at verses 6 and 7, David says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your gates. David is praying for peace and unity with the people. And from a practical sense, you can understand this. It makes sense. The tribes didn't always get along with each other, right? David is praying for peace. And from a practical standpoint, there's millions of people descending on Jerusalem, right? That is going to tax even, <clears throat> even the basic necessities, food, water, shelter, right? So David is praying for the peace of this gathering of people. But David also knew God, right? And he knew uh, the high priority that God places on unity. Right? Do me a favor, turn over to Psalm 133. We'll take a look at, at how David <coughs> describes this, because this is another song of ascents from David. Look at verse 1, 133. Behold, just a, a point if you want, on 133 and 134 are the only psalms in the Psalter that begin with the word behold. Right? So the word's used, but these are the only two where it, they begin with the word behold. So 133 says, behold, pay attention, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together. I mean, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. How true a statement that is, right? I mean, we can feel that statement in the core of who we are. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And the translators, maybe in your copy, and the translators even had to put an exclamation point after that. There are no exclamation points in the Hebrew, and it gives a sense of the meaning behind this. Unity is just that good in a body of believers. Then David provides a couple of examples that the Israelites would have been easily understood. Verses 2 through 3. It says, you know, that, that unity, that sweetness of unity, he says, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard of even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forever. This is how good unity is. In poetic style, David couldn't have said it any better. Look at this. It's coming down. The blessing is coming down. It's coming down. It's coming down. It's so clear where the blessing comes from. Unity produces a blessing and it only comes from the Lord. 
And how long is that blessing going to last? Forever. Right? Forever. Life forever. This life, this life can be translated as energy. It's, it's liveliness. It's energy in the body. That's what that life is. And you know this. Unity in a body produces that energy. It produces that liveliness. And it is prosperous. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing from God. And God commanded this blessing. God is serious about unity. So back to, to, to Psalm 122. I want to look at verses 6 and 7 again. There is a poetic Hebrew parallelism here. Right? You see the word pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That parallelism is with prosper. You see peace and then you prosper. In verse 7 you see peace and then you see prosperity. Right? In verse 7 it says at the end, and prosperity within your palaces. It's this word prosperity that can be translated as security within your passages, palaces. The ESV has the word security there. As rest within your palaces. That's the, the literal translation. Or even tranquility within your palaces. The New Legacy Standard Bible has tranquility. It's the, it's the peace that results in prosperity, security, rest, or tranquility that can only be understood and appreciated once again by somebody who knows who God is. One more time, I'd like to, like to have David sort of explain this. So it, it, flip over to Psalm 131, just for a minute. It's a, it is another song of ascent by David. Psalm 131. Look what David says. He says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. Well, the thing I, I want to be clear about here is that David hasn't turned into some soft, you know, squishy, milk toast kind of guy when he says this. Right? He knows the God he is trusting in, and it is, it is quieting his soul. Right? Read verse 2. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother... My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Right? David's prayer is for Israel to recognize the same security, the same rest, the same tranquility, the same peace that he has. Right? How vexed I can be, how challenged I can be, when big decisions have to be made, or there's a trial, or there's another challenging thing that's taking place in my life, how vexed I can be. Right? This is hard. Right? I know James says, you know, J James says to count it all joy, but it's still hard. Right? What David is doing here is hard, and yet he knows who God is. It's someone who knows and understands and trusts the God of his faith. David is praying for Israel. It's his hope for all of Israel. All right, so let's, uh, again, we'll, we'll turn back to Psalm 122. All right, for all of Israel, he's praying there. Here, David's prayer is for 
the peace, the prosperity, the security, and the rest for his closest of companions. Verse 8 says, For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. The fourth characteristic of knowing God is a heartfelt concern for others. It's personal and it's genuine. Right? It's seen with the heartfelt prayers for the well-being and peace and security for others. And it's an active concern. Verse 9. Verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. Actively looking, David is actively looking to understand how he can help his brothers and his sisters and his friends and then doing all that he could do for them. And I can't help but think about James, right? James, as he develops his argument that true faith is seen by works, right? Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my, by my works, right? David is walking by faith in the God whom he intimately knows and he says, I will seek your good. You will see by my faith what I'm doing. All right? So in closing, when we rightly understand who God the Father is and who our Lord Jesus Christ is, we will walk by faith that is working through love. All right? And the fruit from that will be an increasing gladness to be gathered with God's people. There will be an increasing thankfulness for all that Christ has done on our behalf that we have not deserved. There will be a true and genuine concern for each other's physical and spiritual well-being. And there will be an increasing love and protection for the unity of the church. And all this will offer more gladness, more delight, more contentment than anything else this life can offer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, your, your word at some, sometimes is so simple to understand, and yet it is so profound and so difficult to live out. Well, just the peace, just, we know all the challenges that David went through, all the battles that he was in. And yet he said his soul was in him like a weaned child. Lord, he prayed for that for Israel. We pray that for this body here. We pray that we would know you, our Heavenly Father, better. We would know our Lord and Jesus Christ better. And that would increase the energies that we have to walk by faith and to love each other as we ought. Thank you for this day, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.